So, John, what is the most inappropriate thing? I don't want to ask this question. What is the most inappropriate thing you've done with a toy? Hmm. So, when I was a kid, my brother used to collect little football figurines. Mm-hmm. You know those ones with, like, the big heads, the little bodies? <laughs> Sorry, this... Anything you say just makes this story much, much worse <laughs> until, like... Just, just get to the end of it, please. <laughs> Fine, look, that's your dirty mind. Um, no, I used to have all of these little football figurines with, like, like giant heads and tiny little bodies, and he loved them through, like, his pride and joy. Mm-hmm. And me being a horrible big brother, I liked to torment him. And so sometimes when he would piss me off, or just sometimes just because I felt like it, mm-hmm. I would uh, steal them in the night, mm-hmm. and I'd put them in glasses of water and put them in the freezer. <laughs> And then kind of put them back in his room, mm-hmm. like fro- like as if they were frozen in carbonite, but they're just frozen in ice. And like, <laughs> just create this nightmare kind of facade in his bedroom of like his frozen dolls. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty creative. And it's thankfully way less inappropriate than anything I had in my head. So well, there right. you go. So sorry to disappoint you. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films I don't have any. I'm Harry, and joining me as always is John. Hello. And we are back. We are back. It's been a, it's been a couple of weeks for, for, for us, and no time for you. No, do, no change whatsoever for you, because we are what? Professional. Mm-hmm. You went on holiday very selfishly for two and a half weeks, but we ploughed through. Because you never got on holiday for two no, weeks? never. No. Dedicated only to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but we, we ploughed through... We, we got it all together, and so there was no interruptions of the feed. However, this is our first time recording together for about three weeks, so welcome back, Harry. I yeah. missed you. Great, it's thank been you. fun. So this film... This film, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to Marwen. Mm-hmm. The film that uh, I first saw a trailer of a few months ago, I guess, you know, in the build-up to Oscar season, I thought, oh, that looks interesting. Like, Steve Carell, I like him, he's a decent actor, and this film looks like it's... You know, something. Mm-hmm, um, certainly something, yeah. Yeah, like, it looks like look something a bit different and original, with sort of a mixture of animation and real life, but I guess it's motion capture animation as well. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, that might be might be quite interesting, and then never heard about it again. It clearly did not get any Oscar buzz. Oh no, this film bombed, mm-hmm. like, big time. We'll, we'll get to, like, what happened and why, but uh, yeah, it, it was not a success. Yeah. So despite all that, John chose anyway. Well, okay. <laughs> Full disclosure. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll raise my hand on this one. Fair enough. I, same as you. I mean, I don't think I even saw the trailer. I just got a gist of what it was. Mm. I, mean, I, maybe, I maybe saw a brief trailer for it. And it's Robert Zemeckis, mm-hmm. who we've done... I think this might be like our fifth or sixth film of his we've done now. I think he's our most gone-to director. Mm, yeah, I think so. He did Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Castaway. Real mixed bag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> real highs and lows of Zemeckis. Uh, mm. I'm sure we did another one of his as well. Death Becomes There was him. Ah, yeah. So, you know, he does visual films. Like, mm. Castaway's not that visual, but the rest of them are all like very much visual effects. Castaway's an awful film, but let's not talk about it. Let's that. not talk about Castaway now. But yeah, so, you know, I generally find his films to be really interesting. Mm. And yeah, you were really keen to see this one. I, and it, because, because it was such a flop, it kind of came and went within a few days. Mm. It just, it had no cinema release pretty much in the UK at all. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get a chance to see it. So then... I would have liked to have seen it around around the time. Yeah, same. 
Because then it would have been a uh, an episode for the bonus show as opposed to for the main show. Yeah, which would have been a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. I didn't really... There was a lot I didn't know. I literally just thought, oh, here's a film that's kind of tanked, that looked interesting, might be fun to talk about. Mm. We've got a free week, there's no themes. I'll just put it out there. Let's see what, what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might have been a mistake. Uh, this film is... I mean, it's, it is interesting. I have some thoughts, and I'm sure you do too. Mm. But, but when it comes to you know, pitching sequels and stuff, it's going to be real tricky. Mm. I didn't realise... A, that this film was based on a true story, which mm-hmm. is always tricky, or that it was going to be as dark and depressing as the story this is based on. I mean, this film doesn't make it so dark and depressing. It doesn't, no. No, it, I mean, it is ultimately quite a, an unhappy story, mm-hmm. but, you know, this film, I'm not going to quite say make light, m- makes light of it, but, I don't know, it's not all just really unhappy times. Like there, no. there are definite fun times in this movie. Absolutely, yeah, which is what... I guess I was hoping for this film to either be... Either be something that was just underrated and was quite interesting and quirky, which in some ways it was, mm. or it'd be like a complete mess that we could just laugh at. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was quite either. No, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> it fell somewhere in the middle. Yeah. it's. I think it's strange and I think it's ill-judged, but I don't think it's... I, I, there were parts of it I liked. I mm. thought... I, I just... Yeah. It's a tricky one, but... Uh, what did you lot, think? There was a lot of this film that I liked. Mm-hmm. I mean, writing sequels to this film was so difficult. Yeah. Like, probably the most difficult it's ever been for something that is actually going to be an episode that we record. Yeah, true. If this had been done two years ago, we probably would have just cancelled it or something. Yeah, I imagine so. But uh, the film itself, I, I quite enjoyed watching, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it should have been nominated for Oscars. I don't think it was snubbed at all. Oh, heavens um, no. I mean, Steve Carell was great in this. Do you think? Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought he was... I thought he was... I, I really believed his character. Okay. I thought he was good, but I don't think he was necess- I didn't think he was necessarily right for the role. He might not have been perfect. He he had the the same looks as the guy. He did actually. When I looked up the guy, I could say, okay, he, they do look very similar. So yeah, that- and that that might have been the problem was that they they may have cast a bit visually rather than. Yeah, I was just thinking. There's two ways that you could go with this. I think. I think Steve Carell, he's fine, but I just never really bought into it. I, I, mm. I think the perfect casting, if you're going to go for like a bit more true to the actual story. Mm-hmm. Basically, so to give it a background on this, the story is, very quickly, it's a true, based on a true story and it was the, the subject of a documentary about seven or eight years ago called Marwin Cole. It's a guy who gets beaten up in a bar, mm-hmm. horribly, horribly beaten, to the point where he's in a coma for like nine days and he, when he reco- as he recovers, obviously he's got a lot of physical problems as he's recovering and he loses all He's lost most of his memory, mm-hmm. most of his memory of his life. Like, all his personal memories. All his personal memories are yeah. gone. Like, so he's got having to rebuild from scratch. He was an artist before, but now he can't draw anymore because his hands, you know, his movement's kind of not the same. Mm-hmm. And so he processes it and deals with it through creating these dioramas with dolls and taking photos of them. Mm. Uh, so that's the basic plot. And then it's all about him. You know, he's a very lonely guy. Before the accident, he was like an alcoholic. He was just kind of the town drunk. And now he doesn't drink anymore, but he's still, you know, obviously he's got a lot of problems, you know, mm-hmm. from his trauma and also just a lot of general personal problems. So it, it is quite lonely and, as it turns out, quite sexually frustrated. Mm-hmm. He's also, how he describes it as a cross-dresser, he's into cro- he, like, he likes to wear women's clothes, mm-hmm. which is, it turns out, was one of the reasons he was, maybe the primary reason he was attacked. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's about this real kind of, and I don't mean this as a derogatory term, but this real oddball character. Like, yeah. somebody who's, like, got a lot going on. I would have cast someone like Michael Shannon, I think. Okay. Hey, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm, I can't say I've seen him in enough roles that are anywhere near similar to this. But he plays like I've only ever seen he often him plays oh, like offbeat odd, but yeah, maybe that would make it too creepy. Maybe that would you'd be primed to think of him as a bad guy, which mm. he's not a bad guy. Mm. But and I, I, thought, I just thought Steve Carell was a little bit cloying at times. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just a bit. 
he was in line with everything every problem I had with this film where it was trying to be two things at once and it never it was half of like a typical Forrest Gump, you know, Robert Zemeckis kind of film. I was gonna say, I mean, he's done a few similarish roles, but would Tom Hanks have been a good shout for this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean I was thinking if this film had been made twenty years ago, mm. I reckon it would have been Robin Williams. Something okay, like that. Yeah. 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 Which could have gone either way, because sometimes Robin Williams is way too sentimental and it could have been just mm. like awful. Or it could have worked. Because mm. he you know, he's all about the or was all about like the imagination and the power of the imagination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to go down that real magical route, because a lot of this film is like magical realism, mm. someone like Robin Williams would have worked. Mm. Um I can't and if you, well, I think if you were gonna go for a more gritty version of it, someone like Michael Shannon would have worked. Mm. I also think maybe if it was again if it was like made ten years ago, twenty years ago Maybe like have Tim Burton direct it instead, and have Johnny Depp do it, something like that. Oof, would that be too much? No, no. And you think no. of that just because the... no, no, because I feel like it would take away. From... I've not seen a Tim Burton film that's serious enough, really. Mm-hmm. It's always been very here's a Tim Burton style film, sure, which but... you know it's fine for a style, but I don't think that this suits it at all because mm-hmm. it's such a such an emotional story mm-hmm. and such a real story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's in in the imagination, it's very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not seen Tim Burton do anything that I think would qualify him for this well I think it would have been different I, I just don't know if it works as a Robert Zemeckis film mm. that was my problem with it because on paper it's perfect because he's all about the visual effects all of his film you know Forrest Gump has all the you know the time the, the altered historical things of mm. Forrest meeting all of the like oh, yeah, yeah. the presidents and Martin Luther King and all that kind of stuff yeah uh, you know Roger Rabbit with the animation Death Becomes Her with the you know the <laughs> seat and well, the, the effects on that the, mm-hmm. the body horror stuff mm-hmm. so you know for that, for what he does, you can see why he was attracted to this, mm, because half yeah. of the film is these kind of CGI anim- I don't know how they did it, but the the, the characters as as dolls, basically. Mm. So that kind of fits in with someone who has a good visual mm-hmm. flair. But I don't I think a lot of Robert Zemeckis' films are also quite Hollywoody, and I just don't think this, especially having watched the documentary afterwards, it's just not a Hollywoody story. Mm. It's too, he like really tries to tack on a happy ending, and it just feels... And I just thought the tone of this film was very uneven. Mm. Like, it didn't quite get under the skin of the character enough. Or, and it really didn't say anything about anyone else in the film. How anyone around him really felt. Yeah, it, it could have done. only really touched on Nicole. Yeah. Like, it really should have delved more into her story. I wanted just at least one scene in this film. Because uh, basically it's a lot of women. Mm. It's But all of the dolls he has are... Um, a, 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 he's got his own doll. Mm-hmm. He's got his own doll, which is um, Captain Hoagie, is it? Something like that, yeah. yeah. He was like a... It's, it's all of his doll dioramas are set in, like, Belgium in World War Two or World War One. Yeah. So they're all, like, very adventure. It's him basically overcoming his trauma by imagining himself as a much more dashing mm-hmm. and confident version of himself, where mm-hmm. all of these ladies... He's basically commanding this whole unit of, like, kick-ass lady soldiers and, you know... And it's, there's a very kind of sexual element to it as well, because he's obviously very sexually frustrated and very lonely, and mm-hmm. so that really plays into it. I just needed a few scenes of the real-life women who... Because all the dolls are based on women he knows, like women mm. he's worked with or women he's got crushes on, etc. And there were so few. There was, like, one for each person, really? Yeah, one, Pretty what much. do you mean? As in one scene for each? Yeah, well, that's the thing. A- apart from the woman in the in the shop. Yeah, Leslie um, Mann and uh, Merritt Weaver, they, those two had a so few scenes. Which one's which? I don't know. So Leslie Mann is Nicole, the main love interest, okay. with the kind of high-pitched voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Merritt Weaver plays the woman who runs the hobby shop, who's kind of his yeah. friend. Yeah. And so those are the only ones, the, the only women who in this get any kind of, well, character, mm. <laughs> really. Like, all the other women, I think all the other women 
are there in some form like they come for one scene like Gwendolyn Christie gets a scene right early on which is, whew, I, did, I did not expect that I was not ready for that no she just comes in with this broad broad Russian accent like, <laughs> it, was it was something else that was that was something yeah I, I yeah. wanted more of that like, yeah, yeah, like this yeah. is odd give me more of this but she never came up again like she's mm. she's there in the doll scenes Mm-mm. but as a character and Janelle Monáe as well Janelle Monáe plays oh, yeah, yeah. a someone who helped him through rehab, his physical rehab, mm. like, I think, an ex-military mm-hmm. person, because she's lost a leg. But she's only in one scene in flashback. Mm. You, you never see her again, so... No. Mm. And there's somebody that he works with Oh, well, yes, there's the... Who does get a couple of scenes, I think. Yeah, the Spanish uh, girl. Yeah, it's basically all of these women who are his friends who were... Mm. He seems more comfortable around women than men, probably because he's been beaten horribly by... I guess, men. yeah. And also because he's quite sexually frustrated and... Mm. He, fetishizes them quite a lot mm-hmm. because that's the thing like the character is you know you feel bad for the guy obviously he's been through mm-hmm. a horrible thing he's not a bad person mm-hmm. but he literally is objectifying women for the whole film like literally yes but only in his mind yes only in his mind I, I, like I said, I'm not saying it makes him a bad person mm. it's totally understandable and I thought it was I thought this film did some really interesting things with like or started to do interesting things I don't think it succeeded but I thought it was refreshing to see a film that was quite matter of fact and quite open-minded about like fetishes and stuff mm-hmm. like the mm. fact that he's got a foot fetish or a shoe, f- a shoe, shoe fetish, fetish a yeah. shoe fetish sure yeah. um, in fact no he he said in his own words that it's not a fetish oh but it's about their essence sure yeah, okay well, yeah, but yeah. still there's there's definitely a sense that they all know that he's kind of getting off on them if mm. you know what i mean mm. like because he's always making the dolls pose like topless and mm-hmm. in, in sexual positions all this kind of stuff you know, he's obviously working through his mm-hmm. sexual frustrations with with his dolls, basically. Yeah. And the women are just totally like, okay. Like, nobody judges him for it. Nobody, you know, nobody seems particularly disgusted by it or freaked out by it. And I think that's nice. I think it's, that, that's a nice message. And mm. I think that I'm always in favour of, like, sex positivity and stuff. And you know. Well, I mean, I, I got the impression that um, a lot of the women in his life, they're all very aware of his situation and they're doing their absolute best to make him feel as comfortable as possible. Exactly, yeah. Like, he's in a shit situation. Mm-hmm. And... They're trying to make him feel like he's safe. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're doing that, really. And they know that, like, okay, well, if him imagining me and these other people in you know, these situations, if that, if that helps him, then yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Great. I thought that was all coming from a good place, but mm-hmm. I just would have loved to have seen at least just one scene of the women talking among themselves, mm. or just any two women, like, talking among themselves about how they actually feel about it. And mm-hmm. maybe, for example... So when Leslie Mann's character moves in, mm. she's like a new neighbour, so she, she moves in across the street, and he sees her through the window, and he, he's instantly very attracted to her, and then they kind of get to know each other a little bit. Yeah. And then, so she sees the dollhouse first, and she doesn't really know what it is, and she's a bit confused. And then some, at some point off screen, we assume Merrick Weaver's character tells her what's going on, mm. because then she, she goes to Steve Carell, and she says... I was very much waiting for that scene as well. Yeah. She says, oh, I heard what happened to you. I'm so sorry. Mm. And then after that, she's just entirely accepting of him and she helps him out. She gives him she gives him shoes, mm-hmm. she, you know, all this kind of stuff. She gives him dolls. Mm. I just would have liked that scene of her being told what the situation was and them talking about how they felt about it. Because mm. all the women in this film were completely two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I, I, no pun intended, they're all dolls. But you know what I mean? Like, even when they're humans, they're just, they don't get any kind of character development. Yeah. And I know it's his story, but still it just made it... It, made the, it just made the film a little bit shallow for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. I guess that's what it was missing. Yeah. If it, if it had a couple of scenes like that, maybe it would have done a lot better. Mm-hmm. It would have been reviewed much higher. Well, that's the thing. I After I watched the documentary, I realised that 
I always like to see a film that I've never seen before, like something that's doing mm-hmm. something, telling a new story. And yeah, this yeah. is definitely doing that. This is nothing I've ever seen anything like before, which mm-hmm. is great. But I don't think this the story that the real story suits like a Hollywood movie treatment mm. because it's really sad mm-hmm. and it's really like the guy is really damaged. If you watch the doc, like there's no in the documentary he doesn't have a girlfriend at the end of it. Like you know, at the end of the film they set him up with Merritt Weaver's character to kind of. I guess because they want to end it on a hopeful note, but that's mm-hmm. not true to what actually happened. I mean, the, the basics are all the same. Like, there's, there is a Nicole character. I think she was called Colleen in, the, in real life, but uh, okay. there was a neighbor who was actually married. Yeah, who he did have develop a massive crush on, and she was she was kind of accepting of it at first, but then she realized it had crossed over into he was just madly in love with her, and you know, she didn't really know what to do with it, and then she ended up moving away basically. And he just seems like like you know. A, a nice guy, but he seems like he's really struggling with a lot of like anger and a lot of yeah, a lot of like sexual frustration and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's really really interesting. I'd recommend anyone watch the documentary. It's called Marwin Coll, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not a happy Hollywood story. It's not like it's really not. It's much more complicated than that. And mm-hmm. yeah, this film, I think, tried to crowbar that narr- that into like a Hollywood narrative, and mm-hmm. that was the thing that just didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. And you could say it just didn't ring very true. Something going on in the church? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You mind if I take a look? Mm. (laughs) I love how everything is so cute. All the little flowers in the mailbox and these cute little curtains. It's just all the details. (gasps) Oh, my God. What are they doing? Who are they? They're Nazis. Torturing Hoagie. Why? They hate him. Because he's an American? Because he's different. I mean, what, what was your takeaway from this film, other than, like, you said you enjoyed parts of it, but, like... I had fun with it, but uh, I, at times I was kind of wondering where it was going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there wasn't and, much and, plot to it as well. No, there really wasn't. And it, it seemed a bit predictable in a way of like you know there's a court scene in the middle where just like mm. he's been convinced to go to court and then that doesn't work out and then by the end of the film I just I could tell that it was all going to be happily ever after he's going to go to court he's going to read some kind of a statement maybe he's going to throw the statement away and just use his own words or something like that mm. which I don't remember if he did or not uh, and, no and, he and, didn't he didn't do and, that and, and then he is going to get to the art gallery and mm-hmm. you know he's going to do all the things and everything's going to go well for him at the end and stuff mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what happened yeah it really that's what i mean it really made it quite generic it, so basically the the main plot for such as it is is this is he's got his crush on leslie man that kind of plays mm. out through the film and then he's also got all these photos he takes of his diary arm as his dolls get picked up by an art gallery in it's, it's i believe it was in new york but i don't know if it was ever, this film ever specified that he had to go that far out into yeah. town but um yeah so there's an art sh- there's an art showing of his of his pictures that he's weighing up whether or not what he's going to go to because he's obviously very socially anxious and awkward he doesn't really mm-hmm. like crowds and people and it's also on the same day coincidentally which is not true obviously <laughs> as uh, the day when the people who beat him, him up when the people who attacked him are going to be sentenced Yeah, and his lawyer is pressuring him to go to the hearing to make sure that they get the maximum sentence because mm-hmm. he wants the judge to see how much damage they did to him mm-hmm. but he's very afraid to to go and face them. Mm. So that, that it's all building up to whether or not he's going to have the strength to do either of those things. In real life, did he run out of the first hearing? 
or anything? It wasn't mentioned, no. It, well, in real so, life, he's much more angry. Mm. And that was another thing, he wasn't. So, he didn't come across as much scared as angry. It's like, he, he talks a lot in the documentary about how he fantasises about beating the shit out of them, killing them, stabbing them. You know the bit where he gets kidnapped and tied up and he's being tortured by the by the Nazis? Mm, yeah. And then the women come in and blow shit up and save the day. Yeah. In the in the documentary, it's much, much more explicit that that is him working through his anger about being attacked and what they did to him. Mm. And he really talks at length about how he fantasises about the women, like, oh, slowly and horribly torturing the people who attacked him. Mm-hmm. And it gets really dark, mm. like, really dark. Uh, and it's there's a real sense that, oh, I guess, a lot of his friends are like, well, at least he's if he's working through the dolls, he's not going to shoot anyone. You know, it's a real, mm. like... I had very mixed feelings. It's very complicated. It's like, is this healthier? Is it a, is it a healthy way to work through his trauma? Is it not? Is it making things worse for him? Like, and it never really lands on an answer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the film kind of glosses over that a lot. Mm. Like, it just kind of... It doesn't really spell out that that's where it's coming from but yeah the film makes him just seem more like this shy little you know mm. almost like lovable eccentric when the real guy's a lot more like damaged than that yeah so wow yeah. there's Hoagie's purple heart he got hit in Burma he was serving under General Stilwell mm. and there they decided to get married at night one minute after midnight mm. so when it's time to kiss the bride they can you know do it hmm and he got down on one knee and everything. Mm-hmm. What did he say? I never met a doll with such a gorgeous set of torpedoes in my entire life. <laughs> such a charmer, that hoagie. <laughs> Should we do some drinking games? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> fun times, yeah. Real feel-good film. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll talk a little bit first about mm. like how this film did. So, yeah, this film... Came out, um, it got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, so mostly negative reviews. Mm, it's not, 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 the worst, not the worst, no, of it, not the worst. Well, it's not, a, it's not the room. You know, it's not like a complete disaster. It's no. just, I think, just slightly muddled and ill-conceived. The budget was $50 million, mm. standard mid, mid-budget film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made $12 million worldwide. Ooh. So it was a huge, Ooh. huge bomb. That yeah. is... That is a massive... But then I think... $12 million. Yeah. That's worldwide. In America, it made like eight. Like, it really died on its ass. But then it, that was what made me, as I was watching the film, I was like, well, it makes sense because watching it, I was like, who is this film for? Mm. Like, what is the audience for this kind of film? Because mm-hmm. it's got this kind of fantastical kind of look to it. It's decidedly not a children's film. <laughs> like, there are parts of it which are gruesomely violent. And obviously mm-hmm. the plot is very, you know, heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it was a marketing nightmare. Really, really. And the fact that it wasn't, was also not very good. Yeah. You know, if it, if it had been... This story, but it got like eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm sure it would have done better. Then mm. it would have had some Oscar nominations, or even, or at least some like Golden Globes, doesn't it? But it just really died on his ass. So. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. lowest, lowest grossing Robert Zemeckis film of his entire career by a long way. So, it's a yeah. shame. It is, yeah. Because I like some of his work, so yeah. you know, I want him to do well. But sure, yeah, mm. I'm sure he'll bounce back. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so so do some drinking games then. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um, first one I've got is drink whenever you see or anyone mentions shoes. Yeah, I had drink for feet or heels. It, it could have been directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a very foot fetishy kind of movie. Like, mm-hmm. Lots of shots of women's of bare feet, women in heels, him in heels. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, lots of that. Uh, I had drink for distracting music cues. There were so many, like, heavy handed pop song mm. things put in there. And some strange choices as well. Like, there was one bit when. 
they had that awful song Yummy 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 I've Got Love In My Tummy but with this weird like Dido-ish singer doing it and it was bizarre yeah uh, but yeah so I just put the music in this was quite distracting <laughs> sure sure um, okay next one I've got is Drink For Every New Accent because mm. this film yeah. is full of accents this film is basically female character actors in Hollywood doing all the accents yeah so Gwendolyn Christie definitely wins the accent award <laughs> for that that Russian it really came and went as well. It was really yeah. in and out. Like, I mean, fair play. She's in one scene, basically. I, yeah. I don't expect her to do a full Meryl Streep yeah. transformation, but why not just hire a Russian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Such weird casting. Like, <laughs> yes, so here's... like, she's a known name at this point. Yeah. Like, she's, she's not known for necessarily being amazing, but, like, she's known, like, oh, Gunnar she... Christie from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. great. Well, um, I mean, I'm guessing from how small her role is, she did this on, like, three days. She must can't have been on set for more than, like, three days. Mm. Just came in, did it, left. I think she's lucky this film didn't do better than it did. Because if it did, I think it would have damaged her career. You were maybe... I don't think she's terrible. The accent's pretty bad, but she, she's just the, very... The, the accent's pretty bad, and the fact that she's there only in one scene mm-hmm. just makes her look like such a small actor. True. Well, she's, like, she could never be described as a small actor. She's like six foot five. Well, like. true. But, you know, you know... I know what you mean, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. like she's nothing. Yeah, that's true. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that character. Mm. I'm, I wonder if, like, there is any more, if she just did that one scene, or if there's, like, bits that got edited out, like... Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I'd be interested to see whether stuff got lost in the edits. or Because that's it. It's a lot of characters to juggle. And that doesn't mm. mean a lot of them just don't make an impact. Yeah. A lot of plot points just get picked up and dropped. Like what? There's a whole, they build up a whole plot point with Leslie Mann's ex-boyfriend, who's like... Oh, yeah, they build yeah. Up be some I kind was of big wondering where, where, where that was going. It went nowhere, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, he says some vaguely mean things. Mm. Scares Steve Carell off a little mm-hmm. bit. And then he just disappears and he never comes back. Mm. Same with the sentencing. Like, there's the whole film's like, oh, we want them to get a big sentence. You know, if you show up in court... They'll get the maximum sentence. Mm. Never tells you what they got. No. Never mentions <laughs> it. <laughs> he does go to court. He yeah. gives his little inspiring Oscar speech. And then it's like, that's it. And then it just cuts to him at the art museum. It's like, well... But I, I took it from that, that with that, it was more, you know, he didn't care no. what, what, what they got. Mm-hmm. It was more, he actually showed up in court and he dealt with that issue. Yeah, of course. Like, of course. He, he overcame his his fear of those people enough to actually turn up and, you know, talk against them. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what happened to them afterwards. What the judge said, mm-hmm. that didn't really matter. I mean, maybe it would have it would have helped the film a little bit, but it didn't really matter to his personal story, and that's what this film was. was. Yeah, sure. So yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know, and then like also with the ex boyfriend, maybe was it Leslie Mann? Uh, the, the love interest, yeah, Nicole. Yes, Leslie yeah. Mann. Yeah, like maybe she had a word with him, and like he finally just left. Mm-hmm. You know, because they clearly weren't together anymore. Sure, yeah, but it just didn't. Um, sh- it just didn't show anything. It was like, why yeah, didn't I, I, I know, but like, I'm just trying to give it the benefit of that. Sure, yeah. maybe it was just all telling his story, his view on different things. Well, that's the that's Cause, the thing because there were no scenes where he wasn't in. That's what I mean. Like, I would have appreciated, and that's obviously a choice. Mm. But I think this film would have worked better if it really told a story about how the community. Yeah. You know, works with him to to protect him and why they care about him so much and like yeah, how they like, how they feel about the whole situation because otherwise it's just yeah it, it just came across as quite one dimensional mm. right. yeah yeah big time I will say I thought Leslie Mann was very good in this in what she had to do yeah she probably has the second largest role after him mm-hmm. and I thought the scene when he proposes to her she played it really nicely like mm-hmm. you know how she like she's really trying to be kind to him but mm-hmm. she's not she's not going to say yes it's a shame that the film wasn't better because I think that's probably one of the best roles I've seen it most of the time she just plays the girlfriend in like rom-coms mm-hmm. she kind of gets stuck in that kind of bracket so. uh, okay okay drink for violence Ooh, there is some yeah. quite jarring I've violence got, I've got drink for every death or a series of deaths mm-hmm. does that include doll deaths yes yeah well, well, well it would have there's, to, there's yeah. no others well that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of that in this mm. which 
And then when it's with the dolls, there's an element of uh, comedy to it, I guess. Mm-hmm, yeah. Just like the way that they die and then just become like stiff dolls. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just find it a bit weird. No, but, it is. Parts of it were very funny. And I, I thought the way the dolls looked, it was creepy, but mm. like I, I quite enjoyed it as a, like, as a style. Mm-hmm. Again, I think if the film itself had been a bit more dark and gritty, that would have been... The t- it felt like sometimes it just felt like two different films mm. yeah mm. yeah I agree um, okay drink whenever it switches to or from animation oh okay that's good there's a couple of times I, I, I did enjoy how it was kind of a, a film of two stories that had mm-hmm. parallels mm-hmm. and you know one being animated one being real life and it, mm-hmm. I liked it yeah and I very much liked when they sort of crossed over a little bit like there's that scene when he's in he's in, he's in the house by himself and then, like, gunfire starts coming through the house. And mm. It sort of... I don't know, it, it, it crosses over a bit. And it's, it was good. Drink for doll boobs. Great. Lots and lots of doll boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the actress who played the porn star? Mm. Like, there's a scene where he's just watching porn. Oh, yeah. She's in a couple of the doll, the doll scenes as well. Mm. Uh, Robert Zemeckis' wife. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <Weird. That's, laughs> much, much younger wife as a porn star. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> very strange. It is very... So was she acting in that, or was Robert Zemeckis' wife actually a porn star, and that was a real porno? Apparently, she did get her start in softcore porn. I read right. about it a little bit, so yeah. yeah so. I, don't, I don't know if they used old porn. So flashback to her roots, then. Maybe, yeah. Just interesting choice. Like, um, cool. <laughs> I'm all done with drinking games. Okay, just two more. Drink for walking shots. Mm-hmm. Any shots of him walking along the road with his oh, yeah. trolley? Like, yeah. And uh, drink for floral print dresses, because Leslie Mann's character <laughs> loved a floral prints. Oh, yeah, all of her did. dresses were like. Prime. It was like she's a fi- on Desperate Housewives or something. It was all like bright, bright primary colours and just flowers everywhere. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the town itself is quite dingy and everyone else is dressed very like, is quite dressed down. So she, again, it must be like a style choice. She's like this new character who comes in, but yeah. she just looked very out of place. Did you think it was a bit weird when, I mean, it's completely different, change topic. You know how he's got all the signs in his house that say, like, you know, turn heating down. Oh, yeah, sure. Only take one drug a day, one pill a day, mm-hmm. to which he's always taking, like, multiple pills a day. Mm-hmm. Was it weird, that moment where he just suddenly throws all the pills down the sink? Just like, you probably should be taking them for a reason. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sure what that was, because tr- I thought that was going to build up to, like, a suicide attempt. Yeah, I, I think... Or was the idea that he was considering it and then he decides not to? I think so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they definitely hinted that. But just like, you probably need those. Yeah. Like, if it's an antidepressant or something, like, okay, well, now things are going to get worse if you're not taking Oh, yeah, I don't think... And, like, yeah, don't take three a day. Take one a day as you're mm-hmm. prescribed to, but mm-hmm. don't suddenly take none. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Gwendolyn Christie's going to be happy when she comes to check on him next. He's mm. throwing all his pills down the sink. But, mm. uh, yeah. Again, that scene has no analogue in the documentary at all. That's no. just, again, it, that's what I mean. It's trying to make it so Hollywood. It's like, oh, let's make him... Rec- he's all better now. Mm. He's got a girlfriend. He's not, he's not on antidepressants anymore. Life is good, but... Mm. It just felt like the wrong film to kind of sentimentalise that much. The yeah. wrong story to sentimentalise that much. It felt yeah. a little bit irresponsible. So Yes. Oh, we didn't talk about uh, Diane Kruger's character. Um, Who's she? Deja, Deja Forrest, the, oh, yeah. uh, the Belgian witch mm-hmm. of Marwan Cole. Mm-hmm. Again, doing all the all the accent work. I mean, she is German and she's playing a Belgian, so I don't know if she mm-hmm. changed her own accent or, or just camped up a bit. Mm-hmm. For ages, I was like, Deja Forrest, why do I know that name? Why is that ringing any bells? Do you know what it is? No. It's uh, John Carson. The woman in John Carter is Deja Forest. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting, that's obviously... Weird. Yeah, again, it's in the documentary that the guy named her after. Because, mm. you know, John, John Carter also, was also like a, mm-hmm. a very popular series of novels and stuff, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Weird little crossover there. That is weird. Mm. Huh. 
Well, what do you know? What do you know, yeah. There you go, fascinating facts for you. No! They think they are so clever! I will show them. No one defies Deja Thoris. I am the Belgian witch of Marvin, and Captain Hoggy belongs to me! Me and no one else! You will build me a time machine! Okay. Uh, right, well, I guess that we're all done with that. So before we get to pitching sequels, um, which is going to be a fantastic time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a good run, I think. Maybe. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, listeners, if you have enjoyed this episode, I mean, don't really know why you would, but if you enjoyed previous episodes, mm-hmm. then you can uh, show your appreciation by going to patreon.com slash set, where you can subscribe. That's the wrong word. Pledge. Pledge is a strong word. You've been doing this for like two years now, Harry. Come on. I mean, pledge is the word that Patreon used. So use pledge. But it's a strong word. It's like, you know, pledge yourself to this cult. You pledge your allegiance to the cult of yeah. the box set. Yes, <laughs> just just give us your date of birth, your social security numbers. <laughs> we will get rid of all of your facings. You will elevate to the next level with every $10,000 you donate to us. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll save your life and your soul. Yeah, great. So all that's available at patreon.com slash beyond a box set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eternal salvation and riches beyond your wildest imaginings. Yeah. Um, but in reality, if you do go there, then you can donate as much or little as you like. It doesn't need to be 10000 but it can be. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but it can be as little as $2 a month. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you get a few bonus things from us. You get a bonus show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where we, we review cinema releases. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we doing next? Ah, oh, Lion King. Yeah. That should be interesting. It should it be something. Be. Yeah. I, I will reserve judgment. I've not seen it yet. Uh-huh. So we'll see. But yeah, yes, we I'm will. sure I will have opinions. Yeah, so you get that uh, once a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's basically two Beyond the Box episodes for, instead, of the, instead of the price of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the price of one. Yeah. What? Well, the price know. of one is nothing. This podcast is free. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> hmm. I've not thought this through. Yeah. You get double your Beyond the Box set pleasure for just a small additional fee. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And you know, you can choose what that fee is. It's pay as you feel. So if you think an extra 25 minutes of Beyond the Box in your life every week is worth $2 a month, that's great. If you think it's worth $100 a month, even better. We're talking too much about the price. This is bad marketing. This right. is bad marketing. Okay. Benefits. Quality, yeah, the benefits are what matters. Benefits, okay. Uh, you can choose an episode on the main show. Mm-hmm. Uh, once a month, we have a Patreon episode where a patron is invited to come on. They don't need to come on, though. They can choose an episode and do it remotely they can come in in person or they can not come on at all and we'll do the film anyway yeah depends on what you want to do you're in charge you're the boss you pay the wages mm-hmm. that's it really yeah. um, and then the other thing you get is once a month every patron gets a 30 second advert slot where they can advertise anything they like it can mm-hmm. be their own podcast their own business or whatever you want to talk about for 30 minutes 30, 30 minutes seconds. 30 30 seconds. that's half the show <laughs> <laughs> that's its own podcast <laughs> So all that is available at patreon.com slash set. Indeed. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitch at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. 
I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Okay, sequels. Okay, well, you're going first since I chose the film. So right, hit me. okay, so my sequel, I've not thought of a, uh, a, a name for it. Okay. Um, so maybe if you do, you can... Yeah, let we'll me know. Okay. Um, I appreciate, listeners. This is a hard week, so yeah, just this, can't. this, this has is been, a very hard week. This has been quite difficult. I think that there are two predictable things that I could have done, mm-hmm. and I th- I reckon I've done number two on that list. Okay. The first one would be some kind of an Avengers thing. Sure. Yeah, that that would be very you. Yeah. I'm um, glad you didn't go for that route. Yeah, I mean, the thought crossed my mind, but I didn't really know how to make it interesting, okay. and uh, I had a better idea anyway. Would that have been the toys are all Avengers or? Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, and uh, so instead, I did uh, a prequel to Toy Story. Oh, okay. It's a prequel to Toy Story three specifically. Oh, okay. Uh, so we start with an animation of the toys from Toy Story and some kind of adventure. Okay. But this is one of those animations that happens at like you know the start of Toy Story two and three. It's like they're in a western scenario. Oh, I see. So it's setting like the scene. Yeah. 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 Something like that. After a while, essentially, you know, a chapter. That's kind of how Welcome to Marwin worked. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially after a chapter uh, everything pauses and we come into the real world where we see that Andy's mum who is going to be played by uh, Annie Potts who voices Bo Peep oh, okay now I know she is uh, Andy's mum is actually voiced by like Laurie Metcalf or something yes it is yeah. for purposes this is what's happening here because okay. in, in Welcome to Marwen everybody's voiced by a character you see mm-hmm. so I thought I'd do that here okay well, why, why can't Laurie Metcalf be on screen because she doesn't play one of the toys Oh, okay, sure. So she's creating a stop-motion story using the toys that Andy doesn't play with anymore. Oh, that's interesting. So all the ones that have disappeared at the beginning of Toy Story 3, she's not throwing them away, she's taken them. Or are these just the main toys? No, it's the main toys. Oh, so this is so Woody like, and Buzz. Woody and, and Buzz and Ham and yeah, everybody like okay, that. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so this is still it's before Toy Story 3. Like They've not been given away or anything. They're all, they're all still there. They're just not played with by Andy anymore. Okay. And so that's pretty much going to be the opening scene. The rest of the film is going to be a flashback. So we get a flashback to when her children were quite young, and uh, we see some kind of a scene where their dad, played by Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. walks out on them and, and leaves her to raise her children by herself. Because that's never actually covered in Toy Story, who was Andy's dad and True, yeah. what, what the story was there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this could be a bit of that. Okay. I think they're deliberately not told that story. I know. <laughs> but sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm not Pixar, and You're I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell yet. this no, story. Sure. Okay. Don't expect this story to be particularly happy, by the way. No, well, I wouldn't, <laughs> based on the source material. Yeah. But based on both the source materials, Toy Story 3 was bleak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Tom Hanks, the dad, he walks out and he, he leaves her to raise the children by herself, mm-hmm. uh, which was very difficult for her, but she made it through. Okay. Uh, we see a few different glimpses of her life, things like how she relied a lot on her sister, played by Joan Cusack, mm-hmm. voice of Jessie, yeah. for a lot of support. And I don't know if you want to try and... Uh, Adlib, how she knows all the other cast of the of the toys. Oh, so all of the toys in what you're saying is all the toys in Toy Story. They're are all they're all based on Andy people in her his, life. Andy's mum's life. Mom's life. Okay, so Jessie is her sister. Did you say? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Is it younger sister. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, so all of our toys. So we've got Woody and Buzz, obviously. Mm-hmm. So well, well, Woody is based on the dad that left. Woody's the oh wow okay yeah. Woody's a deadbeat dad. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, is Buzz maybe? I the... do have a thing for Buzz. I bet you do. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they just slipped up. Yeah. So uh, a lot of this is going to be centered 
centered around or I don't know told through her her telling stories at a support group that she's going to oh really because she's now suffering from depression oh because her husband's left her or just probably because her husband's left her and her stress of raising two children by herself and you know holding down a job and stuff like that and like she's having a hard time with it okay she's going to a support group and the person leading that support group is Tim Allen oh okay oh that's good because he's he's kind of a hero in her mind yeah I like this Mm. good okay um okay so that's Buzz Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head can be like the next, crotch- on, next on neighbours. Yeah, I'm thinking like crotchety neighbours who are mm. just like yeah, gossipy. You know, she's she's a big gossip. He's just a old grump. Mm-hmm. I like that. I um, think Rex should be somebody else at a support group. Oh yes, yeah, someone with like major anxiety issues. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Ham. Ham could be her divorce lawyer, maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's that, got like that could be a thing. Yeah, or her accountant. Maybe. What, what, what about like a colleague at work? Like, uh, sure. he, he, like he, he, he's a good friend. He's just a bit weird. Sure. Well, I only thought accountant or lawyer because obviously he keeps all of the money. Ah, yes. I see what you're saying. So, okay, like, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Like, maybe she's having some financial difficulties for, with the divorce, and he's okay. Like, well, in that case, Slink can be her like colleague because I feel like he's just he's just a good friend. He's man's best friend. He's really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Okay. He's the best friend. That okay. Works. Cool. Are we missing anyone? Mm. I mean, there's the aliens. The little greeny things. Yeah, they don't really have character, though, do they? They don't particularly. No. Maybe there's like a group of like Jehovah's Witnesses or Scientologists or something that are always banging door to door. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing about the claw then? Could we do something there? I don't know. No, I don't know either. You need to fit that joke in there somewhere. Somewhere, but... somewhere yeah. no, It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. This isn't the right story for it. Well, is she imagining all of these? So she sees some some Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. and they're just like all about God and like you know God will save us. God is our master or something, mm-hmm. you know. And then she imagines them as aliens in a grabber machine who just mm-hmm. worship the. Arbitrary. Just worshiping this one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's her imagination. She's pretty, so she sees that. And oh, she's yeah. like, oh You might as well worship a claw in a you know in a fairground machine. I don't know. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is, is that the whole cast? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, it's going to be a, a, a film of two stories. One of them is going to be the animated part of the film, which mm-hmm. tells the eventual story of how everybody became friends and Bowen and Woody fell in love and lived happily ever after. So, just to stop here, are the parts with uh, the, the mum, mm-hmm. are they going to be live action? So it's going to be Annie Potts th- in think, live action? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it's going to switch to Pixar-style animation? Yes. Okay, it's going to be... Pixar-style animation, but in like a Western world, not like they're living in Andy's room with Sid as the next-door neighbour. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. And okay. then the uh, the real life part of the story that's going to show it that's where the interesting story is mm-hmm. that's going to take place over you know many years mm-hmm. uh, where Andy's mum learns to she she works through her depression by concentrating on raising her two brilliant children mm-hmm. Andy and Andy's sister yeah who it, never seen <laughs> whatever her name is yeah what, is she is, she's in the second one isn't she or is she in the first she she's in the first one as a baby okay I forget what she is in the second one in the third one she she's in it she's like a, a young teenager oh, okay. Is it the first one when Buzz is Mrs. Nesbitt? Yeah. Yes. Okay, sure. Yes, because he loses an arm at Sid's place. That's okay. it, yeah. yeah. And then the, the sister takes him. Mm. Or is that Sid's sister? No. Mm. Oh, no. Or Sid's sister, yes. That was Sid's sister. So is... Yeah, yeah, no, no, because Andy's sister was just a baby at that point. Wow, the dad, real jerk, left literally with a, with a baby. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Didn't even stick around until she was walking, though. Maybe it's trust a man. Mm. Okay, well, anyway, the real-life part of the story shows us how his mum raises these two children, mm-hmm. and we see her at her happiest moment uh, when both her children are an age, like, you know, a few years after her dad left, where they can both play together with the toys. Mm-hmm. It's just this beautiful moment where they're just 
playing so together. So you said this the... is a prequel to Toy Story 3. Is it mm-hmm. actually just following all of all the Toy Stories, just from the mum's perspective? K- kind of, yeah. But up, okay. like, it, yeah, up until Toy Story 3. Sure, okay. Yeah. It ends at the point of Toy Story 3. Pretty much. Okay, right. Um, and so we're also going to get a scene where Andy agrees to give his sister a Bo Peep. Mm-hmm. A toy that she's absolutely fallen in love with. It's her favourite toy, the best one she, she wants to play with. And so Bo then becomes Andy's sister's toy. Andy's sister's toy. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. So is this beca- is the reason you want Annie Potts because it's like the doll is like the mother's, it has become like the surrogate mother? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like the doll has been, you know, a favourite toy of both her children. Yeah, sure. Okay, now eventually another, another time jump. The kids grow into teenagers and they play with their toys much, much less. During a sort out at one point, Unfortunately, neither of them wants a lot of the original toys, including Bo Peep, um, who gets taken with a heavy heart to a charity shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, more years go by, and when Andy reaches the end of high school, he announces that he's going to be leaving home and he's going to go to a college in a different town. Mm-hmm. This starts to break Mum's heart as she gets flashbacks to when her husband left and similar feelings resurface. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't want a repeat of the feelings that she had when her husband left, so she goes straight to a therapist who helps her through it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that can be Tim Allen again. Maybe she goes back to Tim Allen. Okay, her, sure. Her hero. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's someone who looks a lot like Tim Allen, mm-hmm. but with a very thick Spanish accent. <laughs> I like it. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, that's, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Tim Allen tells her to, uh, to to find someone to take her mind off it, and this is where she gets the idea to start a stop-motion project. And this is where we get back to the start of the film, where she's... She's doing this thing with her, her her children's toys. It's kind of her her connection to that brilliant point in her life when both her kids were just playing with these toys and mm-hmm. they've not been played with for years and you know, it's kind of a metaphor for how her happiness has kind of faded away as sure. times have gone Aww. by. Um and then this leads directly into Toy Story Three, mm-hmm. where Andy eventually remembers his childhood and seeing this, his mother gets reminded again of the that that brilliant time earlier in her childhood. And uh, it makes her mother realise that the toys will just go on to make other children and their parents very happy. And she finished the film kind of content. Aw, that's nice. So she finds, she finds, she makes peace with everything. What, what, what gives her, what makes her like find peace with it all though? Like, because kids leaving is a traumatic I think experience. it's just, just to see that Andy does still love the toys. Oh, okay. Like, it's difficult for him to give the toys away. Just like it's difficult for him to actually leave. And Andy does still love her and he will be coming back. It's not oh, like he's leaving nice. forever. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Can it conclude with her going on a date with some version of Tim Allen? Either Spanish Tim Allen or regular Tim Allen or, or maybe someone else? I don't know. I mean, it could if, yeah. if, 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 you, if you think it should. Uh, I thought it'd just be nice to give her something of her own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, she can certainly go on a date with uh, Spanish Allen. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty bad to go on a date with your therapist. I think a lot of people... You know, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> he'd be, be struck off <laughs> quickly. But, no, I don't know, maybe he meet. Uh, what was... Are there any other... Oh, I know. Mm. I know. So she waves him off, mm-hmm. tearfully, you know, bittersweet ending. She's mm-hmm. she's happy tears, all, like, all the stuff you mentioned. It's great. Then she kind of has a meet-cute with a sexy Canadian biker, <laughs> played by Keanu Reeves. Okay, she yeah. She goes on a date with him. Yep, that works. Rides off into the sunset, end of movie. Yeah, that works perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. So I guess that's just going to be Toy Story 2.5 or something. Sort of thing, yeah. 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 I, I don't have a good name for it, yeah. but yeah. I like it, I like it, that's good. I have done something not dissimilar. Okay, is, fact, it, to- is it Toy Story? I've well? also gone down the Toy Story route. Yeah. I feel like, because... 
I mean, if I'd known what this film was going to be, I don't think I would have picked it for this podcast. Because mm. it is, it's it's a tough one, because it is a real story, and you don't want to make fun of the actual guy, obviously, and anything mm. like that. So, And it, it's kind of a hard story to follow up with, particularly. Mm. So, yeah, I didn't want to go too much into him or his life or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was the obvious answer was to go with the toys, I guess. Uh, I've, I've gone about it a different way, though. I think it's different enough that it's, it's not just repeating what you said. Mm-hmm. So my version still is basically the same. It's still set in the Marwin universe. The, Mar- the Marwin sure. Cinematic Universe. Sure. So we're going to open. Again, I've not got a title yet, but we will come to something. Hmm. So we open with a uh, some kind of like Barbie doll or like some, you know, let's just say it's a Barbie doll. Hmm. She gets unwrapped. You know, she's just been purchased. She gets out of her original packaging and she finds herself in an idyllic, sun-dappled model village. Mm-hmm. And so she's really happy and she's wandering around, just admiring her new home, you know. And then suddenly a hail of bullets just flies her away. No oh, way. Wow. Yeah. And she's obviously completely terrified and she jumps onto the ground. And then suddenly a small group of tooled up, suspiciously busty female dolls mm-hmm. come r- running her way and start just firing machine guns at the attackers, basically. Mm. The mysterious attackers are driven off and then she's sitting, fully hyperventilating. She's completely terrified. Uh, the women approach her and grab her hand and say, welcome to Marwin. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So then I've got some dialogue here. Sorry. Uh, would you like to be Barbie or would you like to be Roberta? Roberta is one of the dolls from... She was the Merrick Weaver, the friend. Mm-hmm. It could be any of the dolls, really. It doesn't matter which one it is. Just I'll be Roberta, sure. Okay. So I'll be Barbie then. <gasps> that was terrifying. Is it like this all the time here? Pretty much. So I guess our little girl must really like war games, huh? Well, it isn't a little girl. Oh, no. I belong to a boy? Uh, you could say that. So then, just as that conversation is happening, Steve Carell's character comes in, and they all obviously revert to their doll form. Mm -hmm. He picks up Barbie, rips off her blouse, puts down the Captain Hoagie doll, and makes them do some very child-unfriendly things to each other. Wow, okay. (laughs) Uh, So then, you know, after that game, he leaves again, and the dolls are left alone once again. And of course, the first thing Captain Hoagie says is, you can be Hoagie. Ladies, I'm so sorry about that. Truly. And Barbara says, I don't think I'm going to like it here. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what we're getting here is that this is set around the beginning of the Welcome to Marwin film. Mm-hmm. And so one of the dolls has been introduced, obviously. And it's kind of playing on the whole Toy Story thing where, um, you know, the toys just want to be played with and this one like be loyal to their kids. But th- this poor Barbie has not landed with a kid. She's landed with a deeply traumatized middle-aged man mm-hmm. who's like using her to work out his sexual frustrations. Right. So yeah, <laughs> it's the darkest Toy Story sequel ever made. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, a few weeks pass and Barbie becomes assimilated into the group and we follow as Mark continues to play out his lonely traumatic fantasies with them. And after one particularly horrifying game in which several of the dolls get their faces melted off, <laughs> we saw that was a thing, the survivors decide that this can't go on any longer and they mm. need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So they hit on the solution that the only way to stop Mark from unwittingly torturing them, because they know he's not like a Sid, he's not like a bad person, he's mm. just working through his, you know, he's, he's, he's damaged. So they realise that the only solution to stop Mark from unwittingly torturing them is to help him to get a girlfriend in the real world. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of wondering how to, how to do this. And then a few days later, conveniently enough, they see an attractive new neighbour moving in across the street and the plan goes into action. So this is obviously going to be Leslie Mann. Right, okay. I so see. basically what I was thinking is that we just follow the plot of Welcome to Marwin, mm. but we find that the toy is like like any Toy Story movie. It's like the humans don't know that the toys are manipulating them, mm-hmm. but the toys tr- are trying to manipulate events to get them together. Mm. So they keep trying to make, like create such scenarios in which he has to go around to her house. 
they find out that she really likes teapots and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and they basically work behind the scenes, the toys, to make these two people fall in love. Mm. And they think it's working because they see that, you know, obviously Steve Carell does get very obsessed with Leslie Mann's character. And so they think it's happening. They, they think, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then he they managed to get him to propose to her and then obviously that goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And that just makes him even more depressed and he starts doing his most disturbing portraits ever. Mm. I think it's at that point in the film, after she turns him down, is that when he does the torture fantasy? You know, so, Captain yeah. Hoagie's being like strung up and tortured. I think so, yeah. So yeah, I, that happens. And then it's like, so it, it, things they've inadvertently made things go from bad to worse, basically. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a disaster. Mm. And I guess maybe the villain, because you've got to have like a toy villain, could be Deja Forest. Yep, definitely. So still voiced by Diane Kruger, mm-hmm. but like, so she's genuinely the villain of the piece. So she, so she can be like floating around, just being villainous, I guess. Mm. But yeah, and that's kind of all I've got. But I was thinking that maybe they could just. Uh, so obviously, you know, they realise that that's not worked out very well, but then they realise that maybe, oh, Merrick Weaver, she's the, you know, the, the nice friend who's been hanging around for a while. Maybe she's the right one for him. Mm-hmm. So then again, just using their doll manipulations, they can kind of work to kind of maybe get them together a little bit and make things happen and they end up going for sushi and falling in love. <laughs> yeah. Not my biggest idea in the world, but... Um, no, but it works. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that's a way you could do this without being offensive to anyone is just have... Yeah, well, except for Toy Story fans. <laughs> yeah. Because some dark things happen to those toys in this year. <laughs> Sid is a walk in the park compared to Mark. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of where I was kind of feeling you could go with it. Mm. So, yeah. And I guess that's just, again, it's Toy Story. Well, you know, this is definitely a Marwin film, mm. but with a, with a Toy Story twist, I think. So, yeah, yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. Uh, so that leads us to listener submissions. Yeah. Do you have any this week? No, after you. You got nothing? No. Oh, okay. Well, I had, a, I had a few this week, so let me find them for you. Actually, I'll tell you what. One thing I did find with this is that this film really, considering nobody's really seen, or I didn't think anyone had really seen this film, I did actually find a lot of people who had on our Twitter feed, and there mm-hmm. was some real mixed opinions on it. Oh, yeah. So I might read out some sequel pictures, and maybe also read out some reviews as well. So Gidget Von LaRue, at Gidget Von LaRue, said, mm-hmm. I saw it and loved it. I'd seen the real-life documentary about the real guy, so I think it was handled really well, and it's visually beautiful. Hmm. I do like the visuals. I would say it is visually... Oh, yeah. Maybe beautiful is the wrong word, but it's certainly visually striking, which is what you want from Robert Zemeckis' films. Yeah. I, I liked what they did with it. Yeah. So Stale Popcorn, at Stale Popcorn, said, saw it with my wife, co-host saw it as well, and we all enjoyed it. Hmm. I don't know if I could see it as a date movie. No. No. I want you to watch this, at I-W-Y-T-W-T, catchy, said, we didn't see this, but we did an episode on the documentary, Marwan Cole. It was a fascinating story, though a bit exploitative when it came to Hogan Camp's queerness. Uh, maybe you've not seen the documentary so I know you don't know mm. uh, but uh, I, first of all I queerness is a I guess that's kind of a, a very broad term he's not gay but yeah there's a lot more in the documentary about his cross-dressing I mm. think I think the, another thing with the film is that it really just reduces his cross-dressing to oh he likes to wear women's shoes mm. occasionally whereas the, the documentary goes a lot more into that side of him as well so right. Yeah, the film kind of airbrushes that out a little bit, which mm. maybe, again, makes it a little bit more boring than it could have been. Paula Harvey said, I saw it and didn't understand why it was overlooked at the box office. It was such a touching movie with, stro- with a strong performance by Steve Carell. I'll definitely watch it again. Hmm? Fair enough. And Cinema Steve, at Stephen underscore Sosa, said, I missed it in the theatres, but recently watched it at home. It's a wildly uneven film that doesn't know what direction it wants to go in. Is it a whimsical fantasy film dealing with pain, or is it a dramatic analysis of a tortured protagonist? It was difficult to tell. I would, agree, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, Bohan Reviews, at Bohan Reviews, said, It's a tonal mess and most of the actors don't live up to their potential, but Steve Carell is actually very good in it. 
and at Simon, uh, at Depressed Movie, Simon Depressed Movie Goer, said, uh, I've been thinking about this film more and more for the past six months, and it's a total mess, and all the time I didn't know if I was meant to be laughing at him for his fetishes or sympathising with the person, and I don't think the director knew either, but Steve Carell was very good. I don't think we were supposed to laugh at him. No, I don't think I, so. I never got the sense that he was a figure of fun. Right? Mm. Uh, at Rosa Reviews said, saw it, quite enjoyed it. Straightforward. Mm-hmm. Milstead on Movies said, I thought it wasn't a bad film, but wasn't particularly engaging either. It was well stylized. And Colby, at Colby told me, said, I really loved it. To this day, I don't get all the complaints about it. So those are some of the general reviews. And then to move on to some actual sequel pictures. Mm-hmm. We have Connor Crehan said, goodbye from Marwin. <laughs> Fair enough. Eli J. Taylson said, escape from Marwin. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Kilmer said, Welcome to Marwin, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, that's an actual film. There's a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. No, right. Nothing to do with this. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel Canada said, From the Earth to the Marwin. Mm-hmm. Joe Herman said, Marwin. As in more Marwin sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Andrew Usher said, To Welcome to Marwin. Classic. Kevin Murray said, Marwin versus the Puppet Master versus the Demonic Toys. Sure. Mm-hmm. Rob Farnham said, Welcome to Marwin. Mm-hmm. Josh Nolette said the 40 year old Marwin <laughs> <laughs> Brian Vaughn said welcome back to Marwin Zachary Pierce said see you Marwin <laughs> Scott F. Butler said I realise I'm jumping ahead here but for the third one how about Mar Freen Mar Freen yep. Yeah. Yep. Reed Hansen said John Carter of Marwin <laughs> <laughs> David Handloss said Marwin Confidential mm-hmm. Darren Gay said driving Miss Marwin mm-hmm. <laughs> Carter Grace said Marwin First Blood. Sarah Homan said he actually gets the psychological help he needs and learns to manage his PTSD without being a total creeper. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. Yeah. Over on Twitter, the Cinema Guys, at the Cinema Guys, said Too Fast to Marwin, the new toys. When Woody and Buzz have a falling out, again, going mm-hmm. down the Toy Story routes. Mm-hmm. When Woody and Buzz have a falling out, they both go their separate ways. Along the journey, Buzz meets Marwin and they soon become great friends, making Buzz think, Woody who? So, I don't, I don't know if Buzz would enjoy hanging out with Marwin that much, but maybe. Uh, at Bloatbusters, Bloatbusters, uh, sorry, Bloatbusters podcast, at Bloatbusters said, Welcome to Marwin 2, population, you. <laughs> Over the course of the sequel, we see Steve Carell lose himself in his fantasy, which obviously never stopped, so much that one day he actually becomes the toy. It's then that he realises that the others are all alive as well. Mm-hmm. It's then revealed that Toy Story, I guess it was the obvious route, <laughs> is actually half right and toys are alive, but basically immobile if anyone sees them at all. But toys can swap places with people who play with them enough. Mark sees himself head off to live his former life, but comes to the realisation that he's happy where he is. The end of the film is a garage sale held by Mark, with a young boy picking up the soldier. That young boy looks oddly familiar with a red cowboy hat. Mm. Oh, so it's like a prequel to Toy Story. I see, And yeah. it's like, so Steve Carell's character swaps places with Captain Hoagie. Mm. He becomes the toy, Captain Hoagie becomes the man. Wow. Interesting. I like that. Good work. Kind of a Freaky Friday kind of situation. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at mm and, at mm and Oscar said, "Well, the obvious sequel is now leaving Marwin, the fifty-year-old virgin." <laughs> Tom Hanks Defense Force, what a great name! At Tom Hanks Defense says, "Back to Marwin." He goes back to Marwin, realizing he's left a doll behind. So, <laughs> sure. At Contrarian Pram, the Contrarians say, "Welcome to the Marwin." Axel Rose and Slash do new drugs, and they turn into miniatures. Oh, it's like welcome to the jungle. <laughs> Carell happens to find them and places them into his miniature town. When they sober up, they must decide if they want to go back to the real world or stay in a place that truly loves them. And Kip Mooney, at Kip J. Mooney, said, If you want to make a World War II movie, then just do it, Bob Zemeckis. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. 
He did apparently do a film called Allied, which we didn't. Do you remember that one? We didn't see it. But oh, was that Kate Blanchett and? It was no. It was uh, the French lady. Um, it was Brad Pitt. And I knew Brad Pitt. Yeah, I was going to say Kate Blanchett. But... It wasn't Kate Blanchett. It was oh, Le'Veon Rose. She she was in the Batman film. Uh, Marianne Cotillard. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, apparently it was quite good. Didn't okay. see it though. So yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, so those are our listener submissions for Welcome to Marwin. Thank you guys. It was more than I expected for this film. Uh, if you have any sequel ideas for Welcome to Marwin or any film we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Mm-hmm. Our podcast is available at all the podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast. You name it, we're on it. If we're not on it, let us know and we will get on it. You can also support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash beyondtheboxset. On social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And we have exclusive merchandise available at tpublic.com. Again, mm. just search Beyond the Box Set. And Harry, what are we doing next? Well, starting off next week, we are doing a brand new season. Hooray! Um, and so, let's recap the season we've done this year. We did. Mm-hmm. Forms based off games. Yeah, very good. Great season. We did Glenn Close season. Worst, Fabulous season. Worst season that's ever existed of anything. Huge success. Even worse than a season of football. Oh, God. Well, that is mm. that's a low blow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. And then we did Disaster Movie season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had my ups and downs. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit too samey. That's the only problem I had with that one. Yeah, yeah a lot of the yeah. same films. I mean, yeah. you know that that that's kind of predictable. Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as were most of the films we watched. <laughs> yes, this one I do not believe will be a bit too samey. No, uh, not this at all. season we are going to do films based off Stephen King novels. Mm, I'm so excited for this. Which opens up quite a lot. I mean, look, however, there's, re- there's really not very much that I know, like other than The Shining, which we've already done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. This will be another education for Harry, great. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, well, probably, but uh, <laughs> we'll... Uh, I- I'm sure it'll be better than going close. It doesn't take much. All right, let it go, Van. <laughs> she's already dead. Stop kicking the corpse. <laughs> no, she's not dead. Her Oscar hopes <laughs> oh, are dead. <laughs> sorry. Did you just say, oh, are you disappointed that Glenn Close has not died? Yeah. How dare you. Anyway, so next week I'm picking a film that I've not seen. I wonder if Glenn Close has ever been in a Stephen King movie. She must have been. Everyone has. Um, I'm picking a film I've not seen, which I know is uh, the lesson to be learned from this episode is a bit of a risk. Mm -hmm. However, I do not believe that this film is about mental health issues and quite unhappy and based on a true story. However, I wouldn't be fully surprised. Okay. But, you know, given it's written by Stephen King, does he write many true story things? I don't think he writes a lot of based on... No, he, he doesn't write based on true stories. I mean, okay. Unless... Uh, I'm sure a lot of them are based on his own life. You know, not directly, but, mm. you know, like, metaphorically. Okay, cool. But, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure this one will go down well, and I really hope it will. It's Stand By Me. Ooh, okay. Mm. An interesting choice to start with. Like, not your typical Stephen King. No. Yeah. Well, it's not a horror movie, is what I mean. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know many of his... No, no, it's a great film, and it's a classic, many of his and it's been on my list for a while. That, so. that, that fit in our rules. Have you seen it? Nope. Okay. I just said no. I didn't see it. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, no, it's really good. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. I'm excited to rewatch that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be too... It's not going to be this. Okay. Um, so, join us everybody next week for Stand By Me. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Where's my top? What happened to my top? The Nazis ripped it off. Again?